We'll be in Philippians chapter 3 as we continue our series through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, a church he planted. Over the last couple of lessons, I have primarily focused on verses 4 through 8 and how we dare not trust in our flesh, put any confidence in our flesh, both in salvation and in the Christian life. There's nothing good about our flesh. Nothing. Paul didn't say my flesh is getting better in time and I'm just learning how to... No, he said, listen, i got to crucify the flesh. i got to die daily. It's of no problem. Jesus said this in John 6, 63, the flesh profiteth nothing. That's it. Well, let's begin tonight. That was your recap, amen. <laughs> let's begin tonight by reading verses 9 through 21. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Amen and amen. Now, I've made reference to verse 9 over the last couple of messages in passing, but tonight I'd like to dig in to verse 9 a little bit more tonight. Remember that Paul said in verse 4, If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. In his religious Judaism, Paul had done everything that one could do, religiously speaking. He checked all the right boxes. He had the right pedigree. He had the right upbringing. He had the best schooling. He had a religious position. He had the service record. And he had the zeal. He had done everything that one could do. It, but there, there came a day, amen, there, there came a day he had to look at all those external things and realize, I don't know Christ. I don't know the God that I'm claiming that I serve. And so he had to come to the point where he concluded that he really had nothing. Despite all he was, he was lost without Christ in his religion. And so he said in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You see, Paul had to, or Saul had to swallow his pride. That's tough for people to do sometimes. If he was going to enter into a relationship with Christ, he had to swallow his pride. He had a reputation. He was well known. 
He was well known in Judaism. He was well known in Christianity. Christians knew to avoid him. They were scared of him. <laughs> he was getting letters from the high priest, the chief priest to go and arrest him. I mean, he, he had a reputation. He had worked hard. But all that would have to go if he wanted to be in Christ. Deep down, Paul saw and he knew the outcome of the choice that was before him. He could see. And there was a time period there where God had been dealing with Saul. When, when Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus to Saul, remember what Jesus said to him? Why are you kicking against the pricks? He says, well, it's, it's hard to kick against the pricks. Paul, he, Saul had been pricked in his heart. God had been dealing with him. He, he knew something was going on and he could, he could feel that, that, that pressure, that being pricked with an ox goat. He could feel God nudging him to himself and, and crowding him to Christ. And he had a decision to make. Is my reputation more important than a relationship with God? He resisted for a season. And he understood if he submitted to those pricks, then his life was going to change. This is what keeps many from coming to Christ today. I've heard them say it, and you probably have too. I don't want to accept Christ right now because I know my life will have to change. And listen, a lot of those are saying it over sinful things. But listen, when you come to Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so you can expect a change when you come to Christ. And if that is what is keeping you from Him, you don't understand the Bible yet. It's a blessing to be in the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. So he surrendered his life to Christ. And from that point forward, he counted all things in his past life as lost. All those religious things. He said, it's all lost to me. Uh, listen, he, had to, he said, I count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now, if you think about that for just a second, for a Pharisee to say that in the first century, that was a big deal. He was a Pharisee at one time, and he said, I had to count all that but dung. You know that had to rile some people up. I think the council was glad to hear one of their former Pharisees talking this way about their way of life. And so I have no doubt it would have offended those who were trusting in their Judaism, especially the leaders, but the truth is truth. And we don't change truth just because of who it may offend. I'm not saying we have to be ugly. But we can give truth with the right spirit. We can have grace and salt and do it all right and, and not purposefully be abrasive. But listen, don't you change truth. Don't water it down. Of course, you can't change truth. Just don't water it down or, or try to make something say something it doesn't. And so what we find here is this was a truly miraculous transformation from Saul to the Apostle Paul. And the Lord pricked his heart and eventually Saul had to let go of his self-pride. He had to let go of all those things that were hindering him from entering into a relationship with Christ. And then he had to fully give himself to the Lord. And once he did, things changed. And look at what he says in the first half of verse 9 here. He says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Wherever Saul was before he was saved... He wasn't in Christ. Because he says, I, I'm now found in Him. But before, he wasn't found in Christ. And where you are found when this life is over is what matters. Amen. And you only have two options. 
You're either found in Christ or you're not found in Christ. And so are you in or are you out? Saul would have been found in the synagogues practicing his religion. He would have been found faithful in what he believed. Everyone could see his outward life and, and they could conclude that he really, he, he really had a zeal and that he was serving with all this fervor, but he was not found in Christ. And we would say today that he would have been in church when the doors were open. He would have been serving. He would have held a position in the church. All would have looked at his life and they would have concluded that, man, I bet that guy's saved but he was on the outside looking in. Notice the connections in this verse. If we are to be found in Christ, then we must say no to our righteousness. Therefore, if we are not found in Christ, then we are trusting in our own righteousness. And I want you to get this, because we're going to make application by that little phrase at the end. It is tied to a law. You see what he says there in the middle there in verse 9? Be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. Anytime somebody has a list of what they believe makes them righteous, that's their law that they're living by. Now we understand in context here, Paul's talking about the ceremonial law, but it also would have included the traditions of men. The commandments of men. Jesus, He called it their traditions. And this is what the Pharisees and a lot of the religious folks, they began to trust in the oral law, that which had been handed down from generation to generation that added to the Word of God or took away from. And they said, you have to do these things if you want to be right with God. And the problem was, they began to trust in those things as the measure of their righteousness. They did these things outwardly that they could appear clean and pure to the world around them. And they based their righteousness off the observance of this law. Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, 28, Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. In Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, Jesus said to the Pharisees and scribes, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Tradition can be a good thing and it can be a very bad thing. It can become very dangerous if you're not careful. Jesus was clear that our heart isn't right toward God if we take commandments and traditions of men and let that be elevated above God's Word. People are no different today. No other group that I'm aware of today more closely mirrors first century, century Judaism than the Catholic Church. And again, I'm not, listen, I'm not being ugly, I'm just giving you facts. Both groups have a semblance of godliness, but their faith and practice are built upon the commandments of men and their own traditions. Judaism today looks to their Talmud above the Word of God, and Catholicism has always looked at their catechisms above the Word of God. You know, the problem with, with both of those sets of texts is that all they contain is the words of man. 
It's, it's not the Word of God. But they believe if they can keep their own law, then somehow they can be righteous in God's sight. And there's many groups that allow the words of men to trump the Word of God. And again, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just giving you a fact, okay? But listen, the Reformers looked at John Calvin. The Lutherans looked at Martin Luther. The Muslims looked at Muhammad. The Buddhists looked to Buddha. The Mormons looked to Joseph Smith. You see what I'm saying? It's on and on. And, and yet these are just men's words. But that has become the measuring stick of their righteousness before a holy God. And we're not to look to man's teachings for our answers. This is why we unapologetically declare that the Bible, God's holy word, is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. I have no interest in hearing anyone speak to me about spirituality or faith in God when they don't believe the Bible. First, you got to be in Christ <laughs> and be in God's Word. There is no higher authority than, than God. Why would I look to men? Now, I'm not against preaching. I'm not against reading books. I, but you better do your research and see if those men are in Christ. Are they standing on the Word of God? Do they have that firm foundation to begin with? None of this is new. It shows up all the way back in Genesis with Cain and Abel. People trying to establish their own righteousness. You know the account. Abel brought a blood sacrifice and Cain brought a sacrifice of the fruit of the ground. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Where was his righteousness found? In the blood. God testifying of His gifts. God put His approval on that. While there has always been an attempt by man to establish his own righteousness before God, unfortunately, there has been an, an explosion of this movement in the 21st century. Especially here in America, and I know that for sure, that's where I live. But what makes this modern movement so dangerous today is it's all under the pretense of biblical Christianity in so-called Christian churches. They have a Bible. They'll flash a Bible verse up on the screen when the cool pastor is speaking to them, but they don't give them the whole Word of God. Picking and choosing what verses to throw up there because people are too lazy to read and study their Bibles for themselves. Well, my pastor said it. It must be true. What does the Word of God say? And so what we find is there's not a belief in the veracity of the Word of God because it's not all being taught. This is why I like going verse by verse. We have to talk about things that maybe I don't know or don't want to talk about. But that's what happens when you study the Word of God methodically and go through it verse by verse. And so this modern movement, you'll typically hear it manifested when confronted out on the streets by this little phrase. My God. And, and it'll, they'll say something like, My God is, and whatever follows is a half-truth or not the whole picture. Well, my God wouldn't do that. Well, my God, you know, He's love. 
And it ends up being what my God is. If you listen to the language, my God. If you analyze this movement taking place, then what is happening is people are taking the God from their youth and they are trying to form Him into what they really want a God to be. Listen, they don't want to be conformed into God's image, so they're trying to take God and conform Him into their image. And so they have to find reasons why they disagree with the Bible. They say, well, the Bible is old and outdated and times have changed. Well, those recorded miracles, they're just folklore and it didn't really happen that way. The creation account, is, it, wasn't never, it was never meant to be taken literal. But it's just so we can kind of understand what God was doing. And you know that, that all that talk about hell, you know hell isn't, isn't real. We just cease to exist when we die. They say things like, well, my God is love and He would never cast anybody into the lake of fire. Well, my God is love and we are under grace, so my God doesn't judge anybody. What does God's Word really say? Yes, God is love. Hallelujah. But did you know God hates? Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Yes, God is love, but He does judge. In fact, the Bible says He is the judge. He'll have the final say. And what's amazing is when you tell someone, let me show you what the Bible says. Well, guess what? They get more and more unloving. But wait a minute, I, I thought you had a God of love. Where'd your love go? The problem is they have set about to establish their own righteousness, which is by their own law. Their law says God isn't who the Bible says He is. So in reality, they're making up their own God. And it's dangerous because they still try to say it is the God of the Bible. Millions are being led astray in America today because they like the idea of picking and choosing what fits their idea of God. And if it doesn't work out, then don't you know we're in a different culture? You must not understand that you know, the Bible's old. It used to be in society there was overwhelmingly a common starting point. Today, when you witness to others, if they don't view the Word of God as foundational and as truth, very difficult to reach because there's no connecting point. There's no common ground on what is authority. I mean, Pilate said, what is truth? And he walked out. He didn't even wait for Jesus' answer. And that's what people are doing. Let me give you truth. I don't want to hear it. It used to be that when you witnessed to people, there was a general understanding that the Bible was the Word of God. But nowadays, many times, you have to first establish before trying to lead someone to Christ, do you even believe that this is God's Word? Because if you don't believe that God is the God of this Bible, how are you going to have Bible salvation? Now, I understand spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and there's not going to be an, a complete understanding, but at least a recognition that, yes, I understand that what the Bible says is speaking of God. What we're seeing to manifested today is the spirit of the Laodicean church from Revelation chapter 3. Listen to what Jesus said they were saying at the close of the first century. 
Revelation 3.17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, this, this modern movement today, they don't see themselves as God sees them because they think everyone is inherently righteous. You know, we're really all pretty good. And, and listen, I'm not going to judge if, if their God is the way or if my God's the way. We're, we're all striving for the better good and we're all going to get there one way or the other. The Bible is clear that all of humanity has inherited Adam's sin nature. That there is none good, no, not one. Because they see themselves as a pretty good person by nature, they don't really see their need for the God of the Bible. This modern movement, like Saul of Tarsus, looks to their own list of achievements as the basis of their righteousness before God. They talk about their list of religious achievements. When you ask them, how did you come to know God personally? They speak of how good they think they are. And they say things like, I'm good, you don't have to worry about me. The Laodiceans said, I have need of nothing. They saw themselves as righteous already. Because they said they were well off and needed nothing, the Bible says they knew not. They didn't even see their need. They didn't even see their nakedness. They didn't even see their miserable, wretched condition before God. Folks say, I was raised in church. I've been baptized. I've served God in these different ways. But they can never definitively say how they came to know Christ because they've never realized who they were. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you you've got to put a time stamp with the date, the time, and the preacher and who preached what. But in your mind's eye, if you can't go back to the time when Christ saved your soul, something's wrong. How can someone be saved if they've never been lost? How can someone have a need filled if they don't know there's a need? It's been said, none are so blind as those who refuse to see. And that's true. Especially in this need of salvation. So when you ask, how did you come to know Christ as your Savior? They get upset. They begin to accuse you of all manner of, of wrong motives. Because in their mind, they're good. Who are you to ask me? You know, coming to know Christ as Savior was the greatest day in my life. Amen. <laughs> Why would I not want to talk about that day when asked? Talk about an open door. And yet people, they get upset when you ask them to tell them, tell you how they came to know Christ. When, when Terry Rushing was here and Bob Warner, uh, I went to the airport to pick them up. And um, Jeff Russ was working that day. And so he took us out on the tarmac to see the plane that they flew in. Now, I can't remember. I think that was like the plane that went to Cameroon, or maybe that was the plane that went to Cameroon. I'm confused. But I got to go out there and see the plane, and Jeff Russ was there. And, and Terry Rushing just comes out and asks Jeff, after standing there, hey, Jeff, do you know Christ as your Savior? Man, I got to tell you, I was so pleased to be Jeff's, Jeff's pastor at that moment. He smiled. He joyfully and happily recounted how God saved him. Did you know that those that are in Christ are happy about it? <laughs> and yet I come across some who claim they are saved, but then they get mad when you ask them how they know they're saved. 
I thought that was the greatest day in a person's life. Why would you shy away from giving your testimony? It could be they're not found in Him. Having their own righteousness, which is by their own law. Could it be Jesus is on the outside knocking? Could it be they're trusting in their own righteousness? Could it be they have another law that they are trusting in above God's law? Maybe that's why they shy away from the Bible when you say, let me show you. No, no, I have my own law that I'm living by. I don't want you to disrupt that by showing me Bible. So what's the remedy? How can we be found in Christ? Well, verse 9 is clear here. We must renounce our own self-righteousness, which has been established by our own law, and we must place our faith in Christ alone and receive His righteousness, which is of God by faith. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Paul very clearly there connected being saved as having God's righteousness. But the problem is people go about to establish their own righteousness or whatever their idea of that may be. And Paul said it's a matter of submission. He stated they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. It's interesting that I've come to this verse. I had someone tell me, I just can't get on board with all that submission talk. That's a major problem. Because without learning biblical submission to God, there's no salvation. If you can't get on board with submission, then how are you going to submit to God's Word and God's way of salvation? The answer is you don't. But instead, you go about to establish your own way, your own righteousness by your own law. But listen again to Romans 10.14. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Once a self-righteous sinner turns to Christ, their law is counted loss. It's no longer of any value. And they realize, you know what, I can't be trusting in those things. This is what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3. All of those things that he looked to as the basis of his own righteousness, he learned were worthless once he turned his heart over to Christ. And what we need is Christ's righteousness. But how do we get His righteousness? Well, Paul says here in verse 9 that it is only of God by faith in Christ alone. That's how we get righteousness. Therefore, we cannot look to our own works, our own baptism, our own church membership, whatever our law may say, but we must look to God. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 28. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. 
Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, I don't know if that's how Paul preached it, but that's how, you know, you're reading it. It's like, yeah, preach it, Paul. Amen. There's no boasting in self. No confidence in the flesh. That's what we've been talking about the last two weeks. We can't boast in ourselves or in our own merits or in our own works, but our justification only comes through Christ and His righteousness. This is where we find remission of sins. It's through faith in the precious blood of Christ. It's all about Christ's righteousness. The book of Romans makes this absolutely clear. If you were to go through the whole book, and we should really read the whole chapter of, of Romans 4, but let me just give you some excerpts out of Romans here. Romans 4, 2 through 5, bear with me. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Romans 4.11 And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. In other words, Paul's saying, look, it's not about works. You can't work your way to God's righteousness. Romans 4, 19-25 And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You know, James, he'll, he'll write this over in James 2.23. The scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Romans 5, 17-19, If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, speaking of Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, speaking of Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made Righteous. The Bible says you have to be made righteous. You can't make yourself righteous. Romans 9, 30-32, What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Why? Paul's asking. Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Finally, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, God knows that we are unrighteous. He sees all of our righteousnesses as filthy rags. 
God knew we could never be righteous on our own. Therefore, God decided to robe Himself in flesh for the sufferings of death to take our place, our penalty, God's wrath, that we might be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. For He, God, hath made Him Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Made righteous through Christ. Since we can't be righteous on our own, we have to be made so. And the only way we can obtain God's righteousness is by going through the cross of Christ, being found in Him. Titus 3, 5, and 6, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Are you found in Him tonight? Has His righteousness been imputed to your account? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? You say, preacher, this is a Wednesday night crowd. You know we have, duh. I know for a fact somebody's lost here tonight. You can come to church all you want. It doesn't make you saved. That's exactly the group that Paul is talking about here. I used to be all those things. I used to sit in an independent Baptist church. Listen, God saved me from a Baptist religion. Amen. I was raised Baptist and lost. I'd even gotten wet in the baptistry. But there came a day. When I finally realized, listen, it's not about escaping hell. It's not about uh, all these other things. But God just really impressed upon me. He said, you know, you need a relationship with me. You stop trusting in all those other things. You have to say, I know my dad was a pastor. I know I was raised in a godly home. I I know I was raised in church. I know I've been baptized. I, I, I know I've gone through the motions. But are you found in him? If not, please stop trusting in your own righteousness. Just get real with God. You're either found in Christ or you're found outside of Christ. Which will it be? Let's pray.